0: Thank you for tuning into the Future of Health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to Providence Medical Experts for insight and information. Remember, everyone, all of our questions come from you, our listeners, via social media. We can be found on Twitter at Providence and on Facebook under Providence Health System. Use the hashtag doc. that's hashtag doc for a chance to hear your questions on our episodes. I'm your host today, Lori Kelly. I'm the Chief Philanthropy Officer and Group Vice President for Providence Health System. And as a reminder, we always want to have this disclaimer. The information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. Our conversation will cover many real-world issues and mental health issues as well today. If you're struggling, uh, this program may cause some feelings to come up for you. And if you need to talk to someone, there's always help available. Reach out to our crisis text line by texting TALK to 741-741 or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 to talk to someone who can help. And um, so we've got that under the the scrolling, and so just please know that you are not alone. And thank you all for being here. We're going to get started today, and I'm going to introduce our guest today. We've got with us Roger Dowdy, who is the Vice President for Mental Health Strategy at Providence, and also Josh Cutler, who is a Senior Manager Behavioral Health Concierge at Providence St. Joseph Health, and he's also a behavioral health provider. So, welcome. It's great to have you here today. And um, first, why don't we start with you, Josh, and just tell a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this work?
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, So, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I've been working in the health system for about five years now, started as a behavioral health provider in primary care, and then had the opportunity to start up a um, caregiver support program for my colleagues. Um, And that really came from um, really in the day to day as a behavioral health professional, um, staff in the clinic would be coming up to me asking, you know, hey, how do I get mental health for myself and and what resources are available? And then this um, program um, idea uh, came forward and we decided to uh, turn it into a system program that's now continuing to expand system-wide. So that's really my passion is around connecting behavioral health specialists to our our caregivers to make sure that they get really high quality uh, support because their lives are as stressful as our patients and many times are.
0: And just for those that are listening um, today, we call every employee that works at Providence a caregiver. So even if you're not um, dealing with a patient, um, you're known as a caregiver. So, but I know you deal a lot with people that are patient um, focused, but anyway, I just think it's a good point of clarification because we kind of toss that around and uh, it's yeah. nice to let people know that's how we refer to ourselves as employees. And then Roger, how about you? You just joined us recently and tell a little bit about your job and, and your um, path to where you are.
2: Yeah, thank Thank you. Yes. Uh, so I've been with uh, Providence for uh, one year, just joined a year ago, and uh, it's been a, just a great experience and, and get to work with Josh and, and uh, others just to um, some of the great work that's happening. And so I'm also a, uh, a clinical social worker by background and have been doing administration for the last uh, 10, 12 years or so, and have had the opportunity to um, lead uh mental health integration efforts into primary care in several different organizations previously. And uh, in my current role, I I help to uh, assist in the development and deployment of our system level mental health strategy and get to partner with our great uh, regional mental health leaders in in helping to to execute that strategy and and support them in their regional efforts.
0: Big job, definitely. So so Josh, I'll just start with you. It's been quite a year. for, the, for our caregivers. And it's continuing to be quite a year going into the new year until the vaccine is, uh, I think, you know, 70 to 80% um, in the population, we still have to worry about this. So, so tell me about some of the things that you're seeing and how Providence is helping our caregivers get through this tough time.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, as we all know, it's been, um, An overwhelming time of not only significant challenges, but also the ongoing uncertainty, the timelines that just keep changing, the different expectations about... um, you know, what's coming from the government and then and then also the different surges that we're seeing. And now we're in the midst of another one in our hospitals. I was just um, talking with um, someone in one of our California hospitals who was just saying, you know, they're really filling up and, yeah. and feeling the stress um, at a really high level. And that's, that's happening certainly all around the system. And in talking with caregivers who are on the front line, whether they're working in the ICU as a nurse or a physician, or they're working. Um, at the front desk in the hospital or a clinic. People are really stressed. This is really overwhelming. They're worried about whether they're going to bring this home to their families um whether they're going to get sick themselves at times people have gotten sick or needed to to quarantine stress uh healthcare was already really stressful before yeah. there was a fair amount of burnout uh, our our service was busy before and um and anxiety and depression and substance use um and even domestic violence are our are concerns mm-hmm. that are, are really up right now um for our patients and also um for our caregivers and so um I've been really glad to have my team and I able to provide, you know, that direct support uh, virtually to our caregivers um, to provide that, that counseling and and people even just to be able to say, it was so helpful to have a private place to just share the stress that's going on and, and make a plan. You know, a lot of our caregivers are pretty resilient having
0: Mm -hmm. gone
1: through a lot of school and, and whatever they needed to do to get into a job, you know, in, in the health system. And so some of it is just helping people step back and remember, like, it's okay to take some time for yourself to, to take a walk, um, to take a, to take a shower, to um, take, just even take a deep breath. We do a lot of deep breathing um, and, and also, you know, help people to recognize what they can and can't control during this time, because there's so much out of our control. It's easy to just focus on that. And um, certainly there are some things that are within our control where we can get a little more And feel a little more safe. And
0: and so there's a a number or a website they can go to to schedule an appointment. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, for for my service, uh, for Providence caregivers, they can call 833. PBH well, uh, and we've also got a number of resources at at our stress uh, meter website where people can go and actually indicate the level of stress that they're feeling. I know, a lot of people are probably on the higher end right now, but that's providence.org backslash stress, and that's uh, for caregivers as well. That has all the resources that we've uh, developed. Great. And many of them are self-guided.
0: Wonderful. Um, And others can access that too, not the service, but actually go uh, do their stress meter on the Providence website, correct? And see what, and then got got some instructions for what you might want to do. And Roger, um, I know this is, you know, you're brand new. Wow. What a year to start a new job. (laughs) Yes. And mental health too. So tell a little bit about kind of the thinking, um, long, you know, Bigger, you know, as Providence, how are we trying to care for these 120,000 people that are very stressed out, that also have families, you know, the ripple effect is huge. Tell me how you got your arms around that and and plans are.
2: Yeah, well, and, you know, I would say there's a really a team that's come around this, and it really does take a village to, to put all this together, and so really quickly as um, as the pandemic started, and of course, you know, we saw one of the first U.S. patients in, uh, in January in one of our yeah. facilities, so uh, we really quickly, the team really pulled together very quickly to develop this, um, what Josh alluded to, this stress meter, and, and uh, pulled together an array of tools so that uh, regardless of where somebody fell along that continuum of need, whether it was a more mild or more severe and concerning that we had the appropriate resource for them. And we were able to get that to them as quickly as possible. And many of these resources are real time, um, you know, including the behavioral health concierge serve, service that Josh leads, where you can really, you can literally connect with a, a licensed mental health clinician with one phone call who can uh, engage in that triage and assessment and and provide some brief interventions uh, as well as connect people to the right resources. And our goal here is really to provide as many open doors as possible. And so no matter which one a a caregiver decides to go through, it leads them to uh, care in the way that they prefer to to access that, whether that's through EAP or through their health plan benefits uh, or even an outside um, uh, support outside of Providence's walls.
0: Great. And, and then, you know, um, sometimes people are really shy to come seek help. So what yeah. do you those people that just feel like, oh, gosh, I don't want anyone to know I'm struggling. I don't want anyone to know I've got a problem. Um, what's your advice for those folks?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I think healthcare is certainly not immune to the um, some of the the mental health stigma that is out there, and in some ways, it's it's uh, even exacerbated within the healthcare profession. Uh, you know, oftentimes we see ourselves uh, as uh, able to handle and take care of whatever walks might walk through the door um, in terms of the the patient population, for, particularly for those caregivers that work in those. Um, those high, really high acuity areas of emergency rooms, ICUs, and and now COVID wards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the really the, the message is that it's really okay to not be feeling okay. In fact, given all the stressors going on, it would really be abnormal to not be having some stress and some feelings associated with everything that's going on. Uh, not only just in the work environment, um, but also just in our society in general uh, with the, and particularly the, the politicalization of some public health uh, measures has really put an additional strain on our caregivers. So really our message repeatedly is, you know, it's, it's okay to not be okay and actually mm-hmm. abnormal to be feeling okay right now. And that there is support available no matter what avenue that someone chooses to receive support, that help is available to them.
0: Great. Yes, I, and I think, um, and we'll put up on the on the uh, chat too. And we've got the thing scrolling, but on on Facebook, what what the resources are that we can connect you to at Providence, and then what are some other national resources that are available? Because I think you know we've got the crisis line and the suicide line, and that that's really people that are are really at a very high level of of concern. Um, but there's a lot of people that are walking around there that are depressed, that don't know where to turn next, that feel lonely, that feel overwhelmed, and so there's resources. Sources for those folks too and we don't want it to get to us a, a, a point where you are actually thinking about calling the suicide crisis line because control so Josh what what um, tools do you have um, for those of us who are just kind of like driving around feeling really a little bit um, out of our own depth and and some some tools for just kind of managing our own stress
1: so um, some of the tools I alluded to on the stress meter i wanted to talk a little bit about uh, one of them is uh, silver cloud which has been a great partner for us Uh, it's computerized cognitive behavioral therapy program Uh, if people see one of our counselors there's um, quite an array of Different um, programs we can prescribe, but there's a couple that are free available to people to do on their own. Uh, the stress program and also the resilience program that you can access through that stress meter, uh, and then also Credible Mind is a partner of ours. Where we all know there's a lot of information about mental health um, or any number of medical things on the internet that maybe isn't entirely trustworthy. So this is a group that has uh, done the work to um, actually have expert. Um, and user ratings for uh, the content that they're providing about mental health, and um, and they've actually built us a, a Providence version of this site, so that's providence.crediblemind.com, and um, it's, it's, it's tailored specifically for some of the things that our uh, caregivers might uh, want access to, but again, that's Stuff that you can just do on your own without having to let anybody else know that you're uh, mm-hmm. looking for support. There's a lot of great podcasts and articles and, and some other self-guided content. So, um, Can those you repeat are-
0: the name of that website, please?
1: Uh, yeah, providence.crediblemind.com. Okay.
0: Sorry to cut you off there. Yeah. Um, and so yeah so if you're just feeling like hey i want to take this test see how i'm doing and i'm feeling a little stressed that that's a great place that you can go to and i think it's really interesting i was reading in your bio before we came on just using you know kind of big tools to help a massive amount of people get through this time and so how do you guys even prioritize where you're going to go with with all of that
1: um so as far as using um big tools i mean we we have a lot of we, we work really closely with Dr. Arpan Wagre, who's really a visionary wow. in this space. And um, I feel like we're really in phase like one of a very long journey of, of what is gonna be, I think, a, a really rich ecosystem of, of resources that's gonna start with um, a, a more personalized like survey where it'll really help drill down what exactly is going on and then recommend um, uh, the array of resources that will be most helpful exactly in that moment. And the stress meter, uh, the providence.org backslash stress is a great start uh, for that and um, we're really excited to start building on that. And that's this work, my program was started with philanthropy dollars and um, and for us to be able to continue to um, build out some of these resources to make them highly accessible to people. Because we found that, and we're in talking with other health systems, they've contacted us like, we love what you're doing. We have resources for our caregivers and they're just all over the place. So we're trying to um, have a central place where uh, people can access these things and also have it be tailored to the level of distress that they're in. Um, yeah, so that's and, our, our focus right now.
0: And, and thank you so much for um, noting that that was uh, paid for by philanthropic dollars. And and as people yeah. that have watched this before, I actually leave philanthropy for at the system office. And you know, we're often asked, um, you know, why do you need philanthropy? You're a huge health system, don't you make billions of dollars? And we actually do inpatient revenue, but a lot of these services that we are providing to our own caregivers, to our patients, um, they are they would not be paid for by patient revenues due to medical bills. So, you know, uh, philanthropy has always been part of what um, Providence has kind of um, hung its hat on from the very beginning days when we went on begging tours, the sisters were on horseback. And it's really provided that secret sauce to really take our programs to the very next level. And I know behavioral health is a huge, huge emphasis for Providence. We don't believe people that are not well, um, you know, have a behavioral health issue. They cannot be Healthy, and so we're trying to change that dialogue. And so, Roger, um, you know the programs that we have um, for frontline caregivers. How how do you think we can let more people know these are available to us? People are so busy these days. How what's a, what's the what's your kind of success in reaching our audience?
2: Yeah, it really needs to be a, a multi pronged approach, and it's really one of those things where. You need to get the information in front of people in a, a number of different ways and different avenues, uh, and people need to see it in a couple of different uh, different ways through traditional uh, internal communication channels, newsletters, and things like that. Um, you know, we've also had some success using um, social media channels and other uh, non-traditional um, sources. Uh, again, we want to create as many doors as possible uh, for people to potentially walk through. I think that underlying that, though, is really also the importance of the the human connection and the uh, changing some of the the culture within healthcare um, on the front lines and um, for helping support our frontline managers and directors to be able to uh, feel more comfortable to identify some of uh, their caregivers that might be under stress and needing some additional support. Being comfortable to ask some additional clarifying questions to express concern um, in, a, in a supportive way. And, um, and then connecting people to the right resources. So it really, it's really has to be multi-pronged. We, we want to have people be able to self-direct to those resources. We want to have our frontline managers being attuned to some of the concerning signs that they might be seeing. Um, and uh, and then also just the increased awareness and sometimes we've we've had uh, in some particular situations we've had uh, behavioral health staff actually uh, on the front lines uh, in the in the units attending the the unit huddles and being available to um, some of our frontline clinical staff to be able to just talk in the break room and uh, in a really um, non-stigmatizing non-stressful way um, you know we have certainly within Providence uh, also. Um, uh partnered a lot with our, our spiritual health par- partners uh, and our chaplains who have been very engaged in this work as well. Again, sometimes uh, staff, uh, caregivers may not want to connect via EAP um, or with a behavioral health clinician, but they're willing to um, and are comfortable talking with a chaplain.
0: Yeah. And, and what about um, if you if you're a person, maybe you're a family member or a friend and you see somebody struggling for either one of you? What, what, what do you recommend um, that that person could do to help, you know, um, not not be overreaching, but really sees that their their friend is suffering and doesn't know what to do? What do you recommend for that?
2: Yeah, it's so important, and and one of the ways we think about this in, in our line of work is um, is thinking about it sort of like a, the the old uh, push to get as many people trained in CPR as possible, and uh, in, as a public health response to, to to these things. And it's very similar uh, in that you know our aim is to have as many people in in society be aware about what the warning signs are. And then being comfortable to ask some clarifying questions and express concern, and it, it, it's okay to ask. You know, sometimes people who are are feeling. Uh, Depressed and 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 sad, sometimes have thoughts about hurting themselves. Are you having any of those thoughts? It's okay to ask those kind of questions and then get people to to care. Um, we're not going to be putting that thought into people's heads. Um, we're not gonna we're not going to be in, uh, encouraging somebody to act on those thoughts. In fact, uh, even just asking that really direct question can ha- have a really powerful impact to 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 normalize that it's that's people do have these thoughts, and it's okay, and that there is help available, and there's somebody who cares.
0: Yeah, great. And, you know, um, a lot of this has been heightened because of the pandemic, but um, Josh, how do you see this moving forward? Uh, do you think this this is here to stay, or do you think once the pandemic is over, kind of goes back to business as usual? What, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, definitely. We, I mean, we started these this work before the pandemic, um, and and it happened to uh, the behavioral health concierge program happens to live in telehealth, um, which has really grown a lot uh, during the pandemic, um, and we are expecting also a you know a, a long um, tail to some of the uh, long term effects of, of mm-hmm. the pandemic, and so uh, we want to be a lot of people soldier through, especially in healthcare, can put on a brave face and continue through. And then, you know, maybe they get the vaccine, things start to calm down a bit. Um, A while later, they start to realize, wow, I'm I'm still really struggling, things aren't a lot better. Um, Roger and I were actually having this conversation earlier and just the concern that we're you know, having like a year out from now um, around suicide rates. So, um, mm-hmm. so that's something that we're definitely paying attention to and, and wanna um, continue to build up these resources. And so um, I'm working really hard right now to staff up our team and to continue to build relationships throughout the health system and to build relationships externally for people that want um, external uh, care. So, yeah.
2: Great. And I, I would, yeah, if I may, I would, I would add that um, it's important to understand these efforts in the context of what's happening in the larger healthcare system around behavioral health and, and access to behavioral healthcare. You know, we know that there is a lack of, of um, psychiatrists and mental health clinicians out there. And, uh, and unfortunately, that's um, becoming worse uh, every month. Um, and it can be really challenging to uh, for individuals to access uh, um, appropriate providers. And we know that the market is shifting as demand goes up. A lot of these um, private practitioners, which is where a lot of folks are seen, um, the vast majority of people are seen in the United States, are seen in private practice markets. Um, you know, a lot of those folks are are now moving to cash only. Um, because there is so much demand, and it's, you know, it's just sheer market forces. It, it's not to disparage any of my colleagues and friends who are doing private practice, but it's just sheer market forces. And and so, I think um, as that dynamic changes and sh- and continues to unfortunately worsen as demand for services increases, it's really incumbent upon us as healthcare systems to one not only ensure that we have. Uh, really available and immediately available resources to our caregivers uh, to provide that care because we know if they go out and, and uh, it can sometimes be challenging um, and also that we have a, an obligation around how do we provide care to our patients um, as we, particularly those that are seen in primary care, who uh, so we can do early identification and through screenings and provide services as early as possible when they become known.
0: That's really important. And yes, that's, it is interesting. Market forces uh, have changed a lot of things in the pandemic. And so um, I think back to the early days and people like, you know, hawking toilet paper on the internet. (laughs) So um, just kind of crazy what, what happens in a dire time like this. And so, um, you know, kind of moving forward, how do you see philanthropy helping in kind of advancing the work at a quicker pace?
1: Well, I was just thinking about how uh, behavioral health has um, traditionally operated at a loss. And and one of the great things about working for a nonprofit health system like uh, Providence is we do generate income in other areas and maybe it can be shifted uh, to behavioral health. But um, but that can be kind of a slower way to go if we have money that's actually dedicated to to us uh, because people are seeing that these are really important programs that um, that. Um, are meeting the needs of our communities and also um, deserve appropriate funding, Uh, we can move much faster. I would say the philanthropic dollars we've gotten to do the caregiver work over the last couple of years have helped to really accelerate these efforts so that we were ready for COVID in a way that we wouldn't have been otherwise. Uh, But there's still so much work to be done. Um, Yeah.
0: Never ending. Roger, do you have anything to add to
2: that? Yeah, I would say that, you know, um, philanthropic dollars can be so helpful in, in, um, in innovation. Uh, you know, as Josh, um, uh, mentioned, you know, frequently a lot of these services do not have a billable component to it. So there isn't a revenue, uh, to be had, uh, as a result of, of engaging in some of these services. And so frequently, um, Philanthropy allows us to do, uh, provide for innovation grants and to, to do creative things and to get them launched and started and we can study and how do we adjust them and then we can find how, how do we do that work in a sustainable way. Um, but it, it, we wouldn't be able to do that without, uh, without some of the assistance with uh, of philanthropic dollars.
0: Yeah, and and it can really um, accelerate the 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 path um, to something that is going to be successful for lots of people. So absolutely is out there and is um, interested in helping support this work, we do have a website set up at providence.org. Then you just click on the uh, donate button and go to caregiver support, or you can go directly to the page at provhealthorg org slash caregiver support. And I know our executives, especially Rod Hockman and his leadership team and all of the leaders of the regions are just so concerned. They're talking about this all the time, caregiver mental health. They want to make sure that our caregivers are no, um, that we really care about um, all the stresses that they're going through and we're trying to make life as easy as possible. I know a lot of people are- volunteering to do certain things. I'm going, I just signed up to do a, a vaccine a clinic, you know, just be a <laughs> greeter there. So um, there's not, you know, I can't do a lot of the medical things, but how, how other caregivers can step in and show our colleagues that are at the front lines that we really support them and we really value the work that they do. So if anybody's out there, we've just got a couple more minutes. If you've got a question about somebody that you're caring for, or you're interested in how you could get involved or support, um, please let us know on the chat. And um, I just wanted to know if there's anything else like moving into the holidays that adds a whole other layer of stress. What can you tell people that are just feeling like right now they're at their max? They haven't bought one gift.
2: (laughs) Well, I would say there's a there's an array of support that's available. Uh, There's an, an, um, you know, one. You know, if they still haven't bought gifts, and and uh, you know, there there are there are resources to help with that as well. But if they're feeling particularly stressed uh, around the holidays, uh, that support is available. It is it is it is normal to feel stressed during these stressful times, and uh, and that there is help and support available either through. The, the 1-800 uh, Suicide Prevention Lifeline, that number that I think we'll, we'll show a little in just a moment, uh, local crisis lines, and, and, uh, and also any other avenue of support, uh, whether that be through the church group or wherever you might find um, finds that, that support for you.
1: And and I would just reiterate, like, just because we're physically distancing right now, it doesn't mean we have to be socially isolated. Mm-hmm. And we have all of this technology that, at times, it can be really draining to be looking at a screen all day. But if there's a, a face that I know and enjoy being with and laughter, and, you know that that bridges a, a big gap. And and the holidays, at in the end of the day, are you know really about. Um, being together and connecting with those that we love, um, and yeah. the gifts are certainly part of that. But um, if if you're not able to do that, I mean, I've got little kids and they're super into gifts right now. They're all about <laughs> the tree. Um, but um, but for me, I'm feeling kind of sad that they're not going to be able to connect with. Uh, more of our extended family as we would in a a bigger gathering and want to make sure to be able to do that uh, over um, Zoom or some of the other connections that we have. And, and, and not other people are feeling isolated too. And maybe they too are thinking about reaching out to you and they just haven't. And so just take a risk reach out. It's important.
0: You know, you, you mentioned, you know, we have access to all this technology and one thing that I found is just the old fashioned, you know, making a call, you know, yeah, just picking up and saying, Hey, I'm thinking of you or sending a text and just saying, you don't have to text me back, but you've been on my mind. And often, you know, when somebody does that, you're on their mind too. And yeah. so just letting somebody know that you're out there, maybe somebody that you haven't seen for six months. And all of a sudden they've, they've thought of, you've thought about them, just reach, yeah. reach out, be, um, you know, that human connection can be the old fashioned way too. or getting mail and I'm loving getting my Christmas card. So just right. realizing that, you know, World out there, and a lot of people do care about you, and it's really important. Yeah. So, any closing comments for um, for folks today? Any um, things that you think people should look out for on them uh, for themselves? Triggers or things like that?
2: Well, I, I what I've been telling people lately is, um, you know, be kind and compassionate to yourself and everybody around you, um, and and i think that laura you touched on it the 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 power of of human connectedness and that sense of belonging even if it's just that one outreach um can really have a really impactful um uh effect on uh, on both people yeah
0: and josh for you anything to close it out
1: um, the providence uh, providence we like to say know me care for me ease my way. Mm-hmm. And um, and in my work every day, that's what I'm trying to do. But I think that's something that we can bring into all of our everyday interaction and um, with, with anyone else. So um, if you're struggling, think about how you can reach out and serve another um, during this time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys so much. I hope we helped some people today just at least know that we have these resources available and there is help out there for you. Please do not suffer in silence. Um, I want to thank Roger and Josh for joining us today and to everyone for listening and sending um, questions, which we didn't get any today, but but hopefully sometimes people will watch and they'll have some questions for us. And if you need someone to talk with, just remember they're sewing. So help available, reach out to the crisis text line by texting TALK to 741-741 or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Thanks, everybody. Take care.